Broadcasting from the heartland of America in the Hoosier Media Network Studios. The next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. It is our number two of the Voice of Reasons weekend edition, broadcasting from coast to coast, live all over the interweb on a global level. And of course, your podcast plus radio, TV, live streaming, however you watch or listen to the program. It's wonderful to have you with us here as we are the groundbreakers. We are the trendsetters. We are the patriot on the prairie. We are the ones that set the tone for the rest of the weekend. I think that's what we do, at least, or at least we do our best here on the program. Welcome into it. You can find us all over our social media with our handle at Hoosier Reason, H-O-O-S-E-R. No I in Hoosier, H-O-O-S-E-R Reason on our social media with that handle on, I don't know, Facebook and YouTube and the Tweety and the Instagram and the Getter and the TikTok and the Truth Social and the LinkedIn and the Snapchat. Did I miss any? I don't know. Chad, is that all of them? I think that's about all of them. So you can find me all over there, plus our website at HoosierReason.com become a Hoosier holic you can live stream it there as well and check out the program no guests this hour you and i just chit in the chat so uh, apparently with this update let's get our what's trending here what's trending today what's trending today and usually we do our week in review but there is some news obviously and since no other show is live on political issues the rest of the weekend we have the groundbreaking stuff happening right now as we speak so we are the trend setters for the nation right now as uh, in about 30 minutes now this is on for those that listen to this broadcast a little delayed taped this is 5 p.m central 6 p.m eastern time where we are live right now on saturday afternoon but that's okay No matter where you broadcast it, it's still going to be relevant to you. The Senate is set to vote on the House bill in about 30 minutes from now. So we may go to that at the bottom of the hour. We don't have a guest, so this is perfect opportunity where we may go to that live as they do the votes and see how this pans out. Mitch McConnell, I'm sorry, Mitch McConnell was advocating for the Senate not to pass anything earlier today because they wanted the bipartisan bill to come out of the House, recognizing it was more difficult for a bill to go through the House of Representatives than it was the Senate. So whatever bill goes to the Senate, more than likely, now that we're just hours away from this evil, terrible, horrible government shutdown that could kill everybody, we're all going to die because of it, right? We can't be allowing something like that to happen. How could you? We're all going to die because of you! (laughs) Yeah, so that's about ready to happen in a few hours. Unless we pass this stopgap funding bill, then... Uh, We need to move it through the Senate. So it sounds like this more than likely will go through. My prediction is it is essentially the exact same bill that was passed in the Senate on Friday this week, but it does not include the funding for Ukraine because apparently we have to cut ourselves off for a 45 day stint. It is a bill that keeps current funding levels from 2023 for the next 45 days until we finish off the appropriations process. Uh, According to Kevin McCarthy, who spoke earlier today after passing this bill, says it funds about 70% of the federal government's appropriations and that it is the conservative thing to do to vote on this by keeping and maintaining current spending levels as Mr. Conservative, who doesn't... um, cut any spending at all and apparently that's a conservative way to do this just moments ago on the house floor we passed by overwhelming numbers the ability to keep government open for the next six weeks we've got to understand why we are here the senate has produced not one appropriation bill through the floor the house more than 70 percent of discretionary spending has now passed i do not believe our troops need to be punished for us not getting the work done. So I ask Congress, we'll stay in session 
the next two weeks, continue to work to get this done. But you cannot look the men and women in our military in the eye and ask them why they are not going to be able to pay their bills because the Senate hasn't done their work. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Kevin McCarthy has taken a very interesting approach to this. He has definitely passed blame off to everybody else except for himself and his own caucus. He has passed blame to the military, to the Democrats, to Joe Biden. He's passed blame off to every single other group except for himself and the Republican caucus. The Republican caucus, which was the vast majority of who voted against this thing uh, earlier today, where 91 votes came out in the nose and only one of those was a Democrat, 90 Republicans voted against this thing because it keeps current spending levels, which the Republicans, including Kevin McCarthy, remind you, agreed that they would not do a continuing resolution at the current spending levels for 2023. They would do it to like the 2019 levels prior to COVID-19. And he obviously caved on it, just like he caved on the debt ceiling bill earlier this year, where he says he's Mr. Conservative because we got something done. The only thing it doesn't include is the Ukrainian funding. So Democrats more than likely will support this bill in the Senate. However, there is a secondary vote that's set to take place here shortly as well with Kevin McCarthy in the House to do specifically Ukrainian funding that will probably go through as well, because why the hell not, right? So I'm not quite sure what that conservatism actually looks like. But again, Republicans have missed the opportunity here. Unfortunately, we don't know how to negotiate. And I think it's overwhelmingly a more Republican issue than anything else. Because Democrats are very unified in lockstep with what they believe in and what they want to promote. And the Republican Party, for whatever reason, doesn't want to stand for the values that they say that they stand for, especially going into a 2024 presidential election, which is going to be very difficult for them to win over their conservative constituency when they vote for a stopgap funding bill that's still at the same level as opposed to cutting spending. So uh, here's my ultimatum is to Republicans. You have one chance left. One singular chance left. You've already failed with the debt ceiling bill in June You failed miserably again with this stopgap funding or CR continuing resolution that's going into right now. You have one chance left, and that is if we do extend this till November, then the November appropriations process better be extremely effective in cutting massive amounts of money. And by massive amounts of money, I want to see every agency at the federal level cut by like 5 10%. Minimum. I want to see the absolving of agencies. I want to see us getting on track and saying that we have a five-year, 10-year plan to get back to a 40% GDP debt ratio than the 120% debt to income ratio that we see right now at the federal level with our GDP by being in debt at 120% value of our national GDP. I want to see a plan to get us back on track there. If not, then you have lost my votes. And I think that's a cause for concern for a lot of Republicans, because now the question is going into election season, what could this do not only to Republicans in the congressional races, but looking at the presidential races? Because there's a new wrench in the system, so to speak, as we do our week in review. It's your week in review. And I, I have to ask you with how frustrated many Republicans are. And I'm not just the one res- resonating here, just like trying to be the absolutionist on the conservative side, although we need to take some dramatic steps in our budget. I am curious on how dedicated you are to a party that doesn't that, that seems to struggle. And I have to put this nicely because I still am a Republican. Um, but how dedicated you are to a party that continues to not do what they say they're going to do. There is a new third-party candidate coming out relatively soon on the presidential side that's gaining a lot of traction that I think 
could be pulling from a lot of Republicans. Now, that being said, as you know, on this program, I have a been strong advocate, and I get this from my mentor that really raised me when I started getting into radio. And many individuals may know the name, although we don't have a radio affiliate in Colorado yet. We're working on some. We have a lot of listeners through the podcast and live streams out in Colorado where I grew up. But a guy by the name of Mike Rosen, he was a talk show host out there at 850 KOA, the big 100,000-watt blowtorch in Denver, Colorado, for many, many years. I listened to him all through high school. And I had the great honor of interning for him when I got, first got into radio broadcasting. And I, brought, I interned for him for six months when his internships were usually only three months, but he wanted to keep me on. Wonderful individual. And taught me so much that I know now on the radio and I try to implement on this program. And one of the biggest um, things that he was known for in his broadcast was an article that he had written for the newspaper out there that was titled Party Trump's Person. And it's a very controversial thing, especially for my generation, where they're like, I'm so tired of the two-party system. We need to get away from that. And while I understand that sentiment, we also understand that right now the parties have the power have the money, and have the influence to actually be effective in Washington, D.C. And what I've tried to advocate is to carry that torch now that he's retired and not on radio any longer, is to try and hold that mantle, carry that torch, and continue on with that agenda, but take it to the next level by not just saying that by voting the party in the general election, but trying to win back over people that have left the party. Because libertarians, constitutionalists, the limited government individuals that used to be Republicans or at least more aligned with Republican values are needed right now. And if we all banded together, while I understand why the libertarians ran away from the party, if I, if we work together, conservatives and libertarians could very easily overwhelm and run out the establishment, deep state, moderate rhino hacks out of the Republican Party. And it would be done very easily just like that. But libertarians have a grudge against the GOP. Totally understand why. But we need to bring them back into the fold. The Constitution Party, bring them back into the fold. Let's reform the Republican Party to make sure what it was intended to be, which was a conservative, limited government, free enterprise party that can actually be effective in Washington, D.C. We have to get back to that level. Because right now, we're going to see a third-party candidate that could really throw a wrench in the system. And the question is, is he going to take away from the Democrats more? Or is he going to take away from the Republicans more? As an announcement set to be made officially coming up early October. Hi, everybody. I'm going to be in Philadelphia on October 9th to make a major announcement at the very birthplace of our nation. I'm not going to tell you right now exactly what that announcement will be. I can say, though, that if you've been waiting to come to one of my public events, this will be the one to come to. I'll be speaking about a sea change in American politics and what your part and my part is in that change. A lot of Americans who had previously given up any hope that real change would ever come through the American electoral process have begun to find new hope in my candidacy. And I understand the deeply felt concern that people have about the way corruption has overtaken our government. It's in the executive branch. It's in Congress. It's in the leadership of both political parties. And so some people feel a kind of cynicism alongside the hope or they lose hope entirely because they've been disappointed so many times. I want to tell you now what I've come to understand after six months of campaigning. There is a path to victory. The hope we are feeling isn't some kind of trick of the mind. We all recognize that There's a genuine possibility of national transformation and its source 
It is the goodness of the American people. Our government may be crooked, but our people are kind, brave, and caring. That goodness is stronger than the divisions that are keeping us all apart. I see it every day on the campaign trail, and the more I see it, the more I trust it. And the more I trust it, the more the path to victory becomes visible. So how are we going to win against the established Washington interests? It's not through playing the game by the corrupt rules that the corrupt powers and the vested interests have rigged to keep us all in their thrall. Instead, we're going to have to rewrite the assumptions and change the habits of American politics. We're going to tap into a mighty surge of people power to reclaim an honest, peaceful, just, and prosperous America. So I am inviting you to join me in Philadelphia on October 9th. There I'll share with you our path to the White House and how we can all participate in healing our nation. All right, so that was Robert F. Kennedy Jr. That was his announcement, and according to the headlines is that he's planning on jumping chip from the Democrat Party, which he said he did not want to do, having the Democrat Party been the party of his uncle, of his father, and other elected officials among the Kennedy family, but going independent and running in that third-party race. Who is it going to take away from? Now, he's not going to win it, although there is more of an appetite for a third-party candidate now than there ever has been before as that continues to grow. But the question is, who's he going to pull away from? Who is he going to upset in this general election? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. We'll break that down when we come back here for the weekend edition here on The Voice Reason. Lots more to get to, plus the vote from the Senate coming up in just a little bit. Stay right here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. It's your Patriot on the Prairie. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. But it's past the hour, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you check us out, we always love you to death and appreciate you doing so very much. So we have the announcement from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. that he will be running independent, or at least his official announcement coming up here in the next week. So the question is, who will he be pulling away from? Now a third-party candidate is not going to win the presidency. I'll just put it out there right now. He's not It's not going to win the presidency. And this is coming from a guy who likes Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I like him, and I really wish that he would stick with the Democrat Party to help brand them and put them back to where the Democrat Party should be, which is still kind of progressive. I don't agree with all his policies, but at least he's a guy that's worth listening to. He's a guy that actually is open to listening to the other side. He's very much against the establishment, very much against the deep state who took out both his father and his uncle, which now that's coming out and is uh, proof positive as well. And he wants to clean up that deep state. So I respect him for that. I disagree on some other issues, Second Amendment issues and, and some others, but nonetheless, he's going to be a great candidate. So the question is, Who's he going to pull away from? According to the latest studies, both Republicans and Democrats are floating between 30 to 40 percent on being open to a third party independent candidate if it comes down to a Trump Biden rematch in 2024. Now, I don't know about the Joe Biden part. I don't think that one's going to happen. But more than likely, Donald Trump's going to be the Republican nominee for 2024. And Donald Trump has something that none of the other candidates have. Which is, and I saw this at the debate stage earlier this week when the Republican candidates were battling for that second place position. There is something that Donald Trump has that nobody else has. And what that is, is it's a grudge against the deep state. 
And an example of almost a victimhood status, not that we want to play the victim as Republicans, but he has almost a victimhood status against the deep state because of how desperate they are to make sure he does not get get back into the office. And no other candidate has that. Now, the closest one to that would be a Vivek Ramaswamy, who's open to shutting down the government, open to abolishing and absolving some of the departments and agencies, open to fighting against the deep state a little bit tougher than some of the other candidates, because most of the other candidates on the debate stage right now are politicians. They've been inside the system, and Vivek is another one that has not been. He's been on the outside. So he would be the closest, I guess. But Donald Trump has a proven record of the deep state coming after him tenfold with the impeachments while he was president, with the four indictments he's going through right now, with them completely coming up with fabricated accusations about him inflating his real estate values during business dealings, building the Trump empire, because they totally don't understand the process of saying, hey, I'm going to go get a bank loan. So I'm just going to tell them it's worth $300 million. It's not really, but I'm just going to tell them it is and they'll put it in and just do their thing. I don't know about you, but if you've ever had your property appraised, that's not how that works. You just don't give them a random number. They actually come out and do an appraisal. What a wild concept, right? So they're coming after him bad because of the desperation to make sure he doesn't get the nomination when the media and the Democrats are now starting to admit that really he's going to be the nominee. And the only way he's not going to be the nominee is if they remove him from the ticket by throwing him in jail or doing whatever they can through the courts. That being said, I don't know that many Trump supporters will be walking away, even for a third-party candidate like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And right now, the Republican Party has near 70% support for Donald Trump. But that other 30% is up in the air. A lot of never-Trumpers out there, and with the more drama, at least according to the media and the Democrats, they're hoping will be enough to deter them away. At the same time, though, the Democrat Party is pretty broken. The Democrat Party has Joe Biden that shuffles around and doesn't know what his name is half the time. And the only replacement that we're seeing floating around out there is either a Gavin Newsom that has a horrendous record as the governor of, of uh, California or a Michelle Obama that has no political charisma or no political career or no experience whatsoever, but just has the approach and the appeal of being another Obama. So they're broken. So who would an RFK Jr. actually deter and pull away from? He's not going to win. The question is, who does he pull away more of for that candidate to lose is going to be the big question. And we'll see what happens as it gets closer. Lots more coming up. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason meets radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. I want to tell you about my friends over at Americans for Prosperity. As you know, we're still battling massive inflation across the nation, near 15 to 20 percent over the past three years under the Biden administration. Almost 30 percent inflation on food alone. That's only going to get worse, by the way, as they work on the farm bill and they want to sink in another billion dollars into the SNAP program, aka food stamps. That's going to raise the inflation on food even more. It's already expensive just to try and go to the grocery store and get the basic needs that you need. It's harder and harder just to buy the essentials. And it's time to unleash economic progress across the nation. That's why Americans for Prosperity have launched their massive nationwide campaign. They've been doing it all summer long, calling out the Bidenomics for what it really is, which is failed economic policy. The real fact checkers are here. It's time to let the people know what's really going on. 
be part of the Bidenomics' broken campaign by letting everyone know about the truth on what's going on with the economy. And you can be part of it. You can help out with this. And it's vital now more than ever. As we go into an election season and we still have Joe Biden out there thinking that Bidenomics is a good thing, we need to wake people up, whether it's helping knock on doors, making phone calls, financially supporting the organization, or just talking to people in your friends, family, neighbors around the corner. It's time we bring some truth, reason, and common sense back into the economy. That's what's happening with Americans for Prosperity. They are the country's largest grassroots organization with chapters in every single state and over 4 million advocates nationwide. For more information on what you can do to help out with this massive nationwide campaign for truth or just to get the information to take it to the streets and help out by talking to the average person, you can find all the information online at americansforprosperity.com. I'm sorry, americansforprosperity.org.org, americansforprosperity.org. You can also follow them on their social media with your local chapter in your area at AFPHQ. Again, that's AFPHQ. Help reignite the American dream by calling out the failed Biden economic policy for what it actually is and do it with Americans for Prosperity. All right, we have uh, the elected officials in the Senate. Looks like they're doing their roll call right now. As they slowly trickle into the Senate floor, they'll be making their votes here on the government shutdown. Now, if I remember correctly, and I don't have this in front of me, uh, but I believe that because this is a funding bill and a debt bill, uh, or at least some type of funding bill, they have to hit a 60% threshold, which could make this more difficult. I could be wrong on that. Maybe it's a simple majority, but I believe that this one needs to be a 60% threshold, which means if there are a few Republicans that do not get on board with this because, well, it's really a lot of funding and a lot of spending. The Rand Pauls, the Ted Cruz, the Mike Lees, if those individuals are strong enough to vote no on this one and are okay with shutting down the government, then we can actually make a difference here and we could see a government shutdown. Oh, my dear. Now, what that could actually mean, I'm looking at some of the comments on some of the live streams here. So let's talk about this for a second, shall we? What's in the mailbox? Let's go to the mailbox and let's look at some of the live stream comments because some are concerned about maybe Medicare or Medicaid benefits or the SNAP program benefits if you get your uh, food stamps or if you get your Social Security or what this could mean for some of the social services. I want to remind you that when a government shutdown happens, the government themselves gets to decide primarily the executive branch. Why? I don't know. The Congress holds power of the purse. You would think they would make that decision, but they don't. The executive branch primarily the president of the United States, gets to decide what stays open, what gets funded, and what does not. And this is a very political thing that is used every single time. If you remember, the last big one that we had was under the Obama administration. And if you remember, there was a scare because all of the memorials, all of the tours, all of the public areas of uh, all of the uh, statues and everything else in Washington, D.C., they were all shut down. You can't tour through the White House. You can't tour the Korean Memorial. You can't tour the Washington Memorial. You can't tour anything. All those veterans that wanted to go and see their memorial wall, they weren't allowed to do so. And it was done because the Obama administration decided that's what they were going to cut in funding. They were not going to allow them to stay open and furlough those workers to continue on. That was a decision made uh, cognitively by the president of the United States. Why? Because they wanted to shut down something that hurt the American people to put the political pressure on Republicans to fund a continuing resolution or to open up the government again. That was the president. 
they have that choice. So if you don't receive your benefits in some way, shape, or form, it's because they chose not to allow that to happen. They chose not to send out that paycheck for your Social Security or for your Medicare or Medicaid or for your food stamps. They willingly, openly chose to do that. It's not because that's just what happens. They can still front the paycheck for you. Military workers still get furloughed. Everybody still gets paid. They still get taken care of. A government shutdown is not a bad thing. It's not this terrible, horrible, scary thing that we hear about all the time. Shut the damn government down. They had an entire year to work on a federal budget. They didn't hit the deadline, shut down the government, and do it in a way where conservatives, according to them, that want to cut out wasteful spending, have an opportunity to cut out wasteful spending. I want to see the budget go down. Just like Kevin McCarthy said early on when they passed their uh, version of it, Earlier today, he said that we did the conservative thing by funding things at the same level of 2023. And apparently that is a conservative move. It's easy to be a conservative that wants to do nothing. But I believe America wants to find the conservative that can make government work efficiently, effectively and accountable. And that's exactly what we're doing in our appropriations process. No, you're not. In the wasteful spending, in the woke. Most importantly, secure our border. And so, okay, uh, we got to stop right there. Kevin McCarthy tried to use that tactic yesterday, or on Friday at least, and said that uh, the first one that failed in the House Representatives on Friday that said that if you don't support this stopgap funding bill, this continuing resolution that that had border protocol in it, that had some additional funding going to the border, if you don't support this one, then guess what? You are siding with Joe Biden and you're advocating for open border policies. That was the tactic that he used. And he used it on Republicans and conservatives, not on Democrats. Again, what side are you on here, Kevin McCarthy, Mr. Conservative? What side are you on trying to bully conservatives into voting for a bill that's going to spend a lot of money just so you can get a little bit of border funding that, by the way, had ties to give amnesty for the illegal immigrants that have come in under the Biden administration? What side are you on here, Kevin McCarthy, as opposed to giving that ultimatum to the Democrats and saying, look, this is what we're going to do is to cut spending. According to Axios.com, there were three, four different options for the government to do. This was before the House ended up voting for their bill a little bit ago, earlier today, where they had four options. And this is what Kevin McCarthy said. Number one, they could pass a GOP-led spending stopgap plan, which to me, I would think a GOP stopgap funding bill would be less money, maybe the 2022 levels, maybe the 2019 level of funding. Maybe we just say for every week that we don't fund the government, we actually do a 1% decrease. And every agency that gets shut down, we have an opportunity to tell the states to pick up that slack, dissolve it at the federal level, allow the states to maintain it. And that way it's more efficient and we can start cutting out some of the federal government levels. What a concept, right? But that was one option, which he decided not to do. Number two, Dare Democrats to vote against a short-term bill that keeps current funding intact but attaches disaster relief, which is what we ended up going with. A short-term bill that keeps the same level. It puts $16 billion additionally into emergency uh, relief funding, and it does not fund Ukraine, which is why Democrats are in the hubbub right now. A lo- uh, number three, eat the Senate bill that includes the Ukrainian funding, which... They didn't do, thankfully, but not a whole lot of change or for facing government shutdown. Those, according to Kevin McCarthy, were the four different options. And while they were debating this earlier today, they essentially took the Democrat bill that included the Ukrainian funding, removed that, and then passed it 
on the same way because he hung out the golden carrot to the Republicans and said, we won't fund Ukraine if you just go ahead and do everything else. That uh, So, again, Republicans feel like they got away with something by compromising and getting 5% of what they wanted and thinking that was a good deal. Apparently, we need to refresh on what negotiation skills actually look like. On the Democrat side, however, they are causing their own mini-insurrection apparently today, as while they were discussing the potential government shutdown and stopgap funding bills, the very left-wing radical socialist Democrat, Representative Jamal Bowman, ended up pulling a fire alarm to try and delay the vote on the Republican spending bill that they were discussing. Oh, yeah. Now, I want to refresh your mind again back on January 6th where we have people sitting in jail. We have an indictment on Donald Trump. We have an impeachment on President Donald Trump regarding a quote-unquote insurrection, meaning we infringed upon the duties of Congress to act or to do their job. We now have a Democrat representative who pulled, according to New York Post, pulled a fire alarm in a House office building earlier today on Saturday as Democrats tried to delay the vote for the Republican stopgap funding bill. He, according to the report, Bowman, quote, pulled a fire alarm in the cannon this morning, according to the spokesperson for the GOP-controlled administrative committee. In a statement... From Bowman's office, they said the congressman did not realize he would trigger a building alarm as he was rushing to make an urgent vote. The congressman regrets any confusion. (laughs) Chad, jump on here for just a minute, will you? There is a video and a picture of him walking down the hall, walking up to a wall, literally pulling the fire alarm to stop the vote on a Republican bill because he didn't want a Republican bill for a, for the lack of funding that it had for all the programs in order to evacuate the area, willingly pulling it in their offices that he regrets any confusion and didn't know it would trigger a building alarm. Um, uh, Chad, I, what, what happens when you pull a fire alarm in a building? What, what does that cause? That causes me to put my fingers in my ears because it gets really loud. Yeah, it gets really loud, and it would actually cause uh, people to evacuate, stop what they're doing in an investigation to see where the fire is, right? Like, that's the whole purpose of a fire alarm, right? Yeah. Oh, no. No, apparently not. That's just confusion. Sorry. Didn't mean to do that. We just didn't want you to vote on that bill that's really crappy. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that constitutes as, like, some form of insurrection or uh, not allowing Congress to do their job. When's he going to jail? This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. America's safe space for common sense. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed, it is. Last few minutes here of the program, and it flies right on by. Here's something else to think about as we go into the Senate vote, which they're still doing roll calls, people slowly trickling in. They're going to be a while before we vote, so that won't be live on this program, unfortunately. We were almost there, but at least we can set you up for it, depending on what this government shutdown may look like moving forward. More than likely, my guesstimation is they're going to pass this bill because they're scared to death of their own shadow, especially Republicans, and they're scared to death of having a government shutdown. But remember the small, narrow margin that we have in the Senate. Yes, Democrats have a majority, but at the same time, uh, not a very big majority. And they're down one with the passing of Dianne Feinstein, passing just a couple of days ago at the age of 90. 
which means now we have a couple independents. We have a few. We have the majority of Democrats and we have a lot of Republicans. And if they do have to get to a 60 vote threshold, this is going to make it a bit challenging for them to get there. If there are still some holdouts saying we shouldn't be spending at this level. Now, that being said, it's essentially the same bill that was passed in the Senate on Friday and earlier today where they wanted to pass it, but they wanted to wait for the House of Representatives to get something done. So still more than likely. It is going to be passed and will avoid a government shutdown until the middle of November when we get to do this game all over again. <laughs> because why the heck not? That's what we just do. It's the ongoing vicious cycle of waiting till the last minute, scrambling, passing to see what's in it, and then just ongoing increases of spending, which is why Senator James Langford from the great state of Oklahoma, and we've had him on our program many times before, uh, he proposed the ending of government shutdowns where you're not allowed to use that to do the fast and furious movement that they do oh so well at and it hasn't gone anywhere yet but he did get bipartisan support in presenting this bill as co-sponsors from republicans and democrats so that way we could actually work through our issues figure out a proper budget and do it without the threat of a government shutdown that democrats benefit from while blaming republicans and the hardline republicans from getting on board and just passing massive amounts of money but with diane feinstein being down now I'm curious on what this could look like because they're down a senator and that puts all the more pressure on someone like Gavin Newsom to appoint somebody temporarily until January, really, when the primary season kicks off. And you're going to have a lot of candidates jumping on board to fill that seat after she was the longest standing senator in U.S. history at more than 50 years. And we have a few different ideas of who that potentially could be from Adam Schiff, who wants desperately because of his ego, to jump over to the Senate side, think that he has some type of power or authority over there. We have Barbara Lee, a congresswoman from California as well, who wants it, although she's upset with Gavin Newsom because Gavin Newsom promised that he was going to be filling that seat with a black female because he says since Kamala Harris transitioned from the House or from the Senate to the vice presidency, there is no black woman in the U.S. Senate right now, and therefore there's a uh, racist tone to it or something. So his whole idea, or sexist, or racial sexist, because there are women and there are black people, So, but there's not a black woman, so therefore they're not just racist or not just sexist, they're, they're sexist? Racist and sexist at the same time in order for you to not be there? <laughs> I'm not quite sure how that works. I'm not on my up and up against the victimization of society today. But Barbara Lee, who is black, by the way, and thinks she deserves that seat, is now upset with Gavin Newsom because he promised that he would uh, appoint a black woman to the seat. But yet now Barbara Lee is upset because while she's not at the top of the list to be appointed, she says she doesn't just want to be a fill-in to be the quote-unquote token, essentially, for the Democrat Party just to fill the void to try and make you be appeasing of the gender or of the race, or of the community. So now she's upset because she feels like the black women are now being used by Gavin Newsom, a.k.a. the Democrat Party, by just being appointed to be the pretty face for a couple of months until primary season actually starts, which is hilarious because that's exactly what the Democrats do anyways. That's what they are. They are the ones that use the token to pretend like they actually represent a party or a class or a gender identity or a political identity in some way based on your identity politics while not actually supporting that organization, but yet keeping you down in the glass ceiling that they love to put on these minority communities across the nation. One of the names that is popping up, however, to potentially be that fill-in void is Oprah. Oh, yes. The black woman 
that is part of the Hollywood elites. And she would be a non-politician. So that way, Gavin Newsom wouldn't look like he's being chosen and being uh, giving special favors while he's trying to look as moderate as possible going into a presidential run. Who's ready for Senator Oprah to go into D.C. and represent? Yeah. Spare me. That one hurts just a little bit. That does it for us today. Uh, we'll see whether the government shut down on Monday or not. Until then, prepare yourselves, my friends. The end of the world could be upon us if the government's not there to save us. Make sure to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. Have a wonderful weekend. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.